0: Tonight's Bible reading comes from Genesis chapter 32 from the start um, to chapter 33 verse 11 and that can be found on page 27 of the Blue Church Bibles uh, in the handout that you received on the way in and on the screens behind you. Jacob also went on his way and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim. Jacob sent messages ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, This is what you are to say to my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my lord that I may find favour in your eyes." When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, If Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, lord you who said to me go back to your country and your relatives and i will make you prosper i am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant i had only my staff when i crossed this jordan but now i have become two camps save me i pray from the hand of my brother esau for i am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children but you have said i will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants Go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds He instructed the one in the lead When my brother Esau meets you and asks Who do you belong to and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you Then you are to say They belong to your servant Jacob They are a gift sent to my lord Esau and he is coming behind us He also instructed the second the third and all the others who followed the herds You are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him, and be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the Israelites did not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau, coming with his four hundred men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? he asked. Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, "'What's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met?' "'To find favour in your eyes, my lord,' he said. But Esau said, "'I already have plenty, my brother. "'Keep what you have for yourself.' "'No, please,' said Jacob, "'if I have found favour in your eyes, "'accept this gift from me. "'For to see your face is like seeing the face of God.' now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it.
1: Uh, Keep your Bibles open. Genesis 32, we're going to be referring to that throughout. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to start by reading from Romans 12 and then we'll pray. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and your spirit. We thank you that you work by your word and your spirit to shape and transform us into the likeness of Christ. We pray, Father, that you would help us to hear your word and that we would be changed as you work in us this evening. Amen. Uh, Well, on the 23rd of May, 2020, I stood up the front of a small chapel in Rouse Hill. Best man by my side family in the room and a camera with a bunch of people watching on a live stream and at precisely 12.01 the doors at the back of the church opened up and grace walked in in a big white dress and you could say i got a little bit emotional Uh, my best man says i cried like a baby but he's not here so we're going to say i got a little bit emotional Uh, i remember thinking things like thank you god Uh, I do not deserve this. God, you are kind and you are good. It's actually really fitting because the word grace means gift and that's exactly what my wife is. I don't deserve the blessing of marriage. God has graciously provided me with a wife in his good timing and I'm incredibly thankful. But could you imagine for a moment with me that if Grace and I exchange our vows, exchange rings, and then she went back to her parents' house, and I went to the house of guys that I was living with. Could you imagine if we held this great big ceremony, I took on the legal title of a married man, and then I walked out of the church as if nothing had just happened? It shouldn't happen in marriage, and yet sometimes that can happen in our relationship with God. Uh, Once upon a time, we held this great big ceremony. We invited all our friends and family to see us make promises and a commitment to follow Jesus. But I guess guess the question is, well, are you and God still talking? Is your relationship still growing since that point? Uh, Maybe once we were drawn to tears at the beauty and goodness of God, but now, have we lost our first love? Have we become indifferent to the grace of God? Well friends, if it should not be that way in marriage, how much more should it not be that way in our relationship with God? In 1738, George Whitfield, a key figure in the 18th century of revival which swept across Britain and the US, uh, he arrived by boat in a port in Georgia. He'd traveled all the way from Oxford to Savannah, Georgia, as a missionary going to what they were then calling the New World. And as he got off the boat, he preached a sermon on Psalm 107. It had been a really perilous journey across the North Atlantic Sea. In fact, two of their crew had died. Many of them had become sick, and they didn't even think they were going to make it to the other side. And so he preached this sermon and he said to them, remember then the resolutions you made when you thought that God was about to take away your souls. And see that according to your promises, you show forth your thankfulness, not only with your lips, but in your lives. Some of us here tonight may have experienced a moment like this where we made promises to God. Uh, perhaps when you or someone you loved dearly was sick. Maybe when life just felt like it was too much. You felt like you had done all you could do and so you handed it over to God. And if you made a promise to God, well friends, tonight is the night to make good on that promise. In fact, tonight as we look at the story of Jacob, we come to what is the turning point in his life the transformation of Jacob into Israel. Uh, We've seen in previous weeks a a deceptive, a sinful, and an opportunist. And yet tonight, that man is going to die, and Israel will be born. What we're going to see in God's word tonight is that Jacob is transformed by God's grace. The man who left his parents' house is not the man who returns, Not only is Jacob now a husband, a father, and he has many livestock. No, Jacob is renewed inwardly. He's transformed by God's grace inwardly. And the same is true for every genuine Christian. As we say in our ministry vision, we are a people transformed by his grace. The old has gone. The new has come. And so let me ask you this evening have you been transformed by God's grace? Has the grace of God changed your life, your very identity, so that you're not the same person that you used to be? Uh, Even if you grew up in a Christian family, could you say that the grace of God has not been without effect in your life? Have you been transformed by God's grace? Because what we're going to see tonight is that Jacob's story is our story. As we follow Jacob in Genesis 32 and 33, we're going to see that God enlightens his mind, humbles his heart, and transforms his life. And so the question for you is, have you been enlightened by grace, humbled by grace, and transformed by the grace of God? Uh, Come with me first to, have you been enlightened by grace? Uh, In chapter 32, we come to Jacob just after he's left his father-in-law Laban and he's on his way back to the homeland. In fact, in Genesis 31 verse three, we saw that he was told by God, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. And so we come to Jacob In chapter 32, and we see that as he goes on his way, he is met by the angels of God. Now, we're not told how many angels there were. But what we are told is that he called this place Mahanaim, which means two camps. There was Jacob's camp and the camp of angels. And i don't know what you think about when you think about camping Uh, i think of going bush with a few mates maybe you go camping with your family but in jacob's day camping was not that kind of camping camping was what armies did as they moved across the land and so i think what jacob encounters here in the first two verses of genesis 32 is an army of angels showing him that god is with him and that God will bless him. I wonder if it was like those angels that came to the shepherds on the night that they were waiting in the field on the birth of Jesus. We hear that there was one angel, and then suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. I'm sure that seeing one or two angels would have been enough. And yet, I reckon that here God sends an army, a great company of heavenly hosts, to remind him that God is on his side. And I think that's why in verse three, you see that Esau then draws up the carriage and he sends a message to his brother Esau. You see this message that he gives his messengers. He says, Your servant Jacob says, I've been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. And now I am sending this message to my Lord that I might find favor in your eyes. As Tim pointed out for us in the start, the last time these two brothers were together, Esau wanted to kill Jacob. Uh, Genesis 27 verse 41, we hear that Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing that his father had given him. And so he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother. Since then, Jacob has fled north to his uncle Laban. Over 20 years have passed and Jacob has no idea if his father is still alive. And so he sends word to Esau that he's coming back home which you might think is a good idea, right? Just kind of testing the waters before you come back to the family home. But here's the crazy thing. It was not geographically necessary for Jacob to send this message. Uh, You'll see here that Jacob was up in Paddan Aram and he was coming back into Canaan. And yet his brother was down in Seir. In other words, he wasn't on the way. It wasn't as if he was going to bump into him. No, he intentionally set word to his brother because he was done with running from his past. He was ready to take responsibility for what he had done. You you would know that Jacob was a deceiver and that he cheated his brother, that he did wrong. And in fact, for the last 20 years, as he lived with Laban, Jacob was the one who was deceived and mistreated. It was Laban who stole and cheated Jacob. And yet I can't help but think that God used that situation so that Jacob might be enlightened to the consequences of his actions. That he might be enlightened by God's grace. And yet we hear the response of Esau in verse 6. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau and now he's coming to meet you and 400 men are with him. Uh, You can see what Jacob thinks at this point. He was feeling really blessed by God, army of angels by his side. And now that all quickly turns to fear when Jacob hears the news that Esau is coming to him with 400 men marching behind. And then we have a different reason for the two camps. Jacob splits his camp in two. He thinks, well, if my brother's coming to kill me and wipe out my entire family, well, if we split into two, then maybe half of us will be able to survive. But then Jacob does something really special. Notice what Jacob does next. He prays to God. This is significant. In fact, this is the first recorded prayer of Jacob in the Bible. And see what he prays. He says, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness that you've shown your servant. I have only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray. From the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid that he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. See, up until now, Jacob had always relied on his wit and his sharp mind to get the upper hand in situations. Remember how he deceived his brother And yet now in this prayer, you see that he realizes that it was never him. It was never his sharpness that led to success. It was always God's kindness and faithfulness in blessing him. And so he prepares a gift. He sends a gift to his brother Esau, 550 animals. Okay, that's a lot of animals, just in case you're wondering. It wouldn't fit in my backyard. Uh, And you actually see that most of them are female animals and there's a few males. In other words, this is no measly sourdough starter kit. This is a kingdom starter kit because with these animals, Esau is going to be able to grow into a great big nation. In other words, Jacob is paying back the blessing that he tried to steal. He's sending a gift to pacify his brother because he realizes that he's done wrong. That's the change that we see in Jacob. His eyes are enlightened and he sees just what he's done. But my question for you tonight is, have you been enlightened by God's grace? Do you know who God is and who you are? God's word shows us that since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been on display for us all so that we are without excuse. All of us can go outside tonight and look up at the stars or we could go to the beach on the weekend and see the endless rolling of waves which all demonstrate to us God's incredible power and divine nature. And yet so often we do not worship him as that. So often we exchange God's glory for our own. So often we try and hold on to the power of our own lives. Rather than letting God have it, we want to be the captain of our own soul. And friends, there is no gift that you can offer to pacify God for trying to rob him of his eternal glory. There is nothing you could do like Jacob, hoping perhaps he will receive me. There is no gift you can offer, except the gift which he has given. Romans 8 tells us this. It says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Friends, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And as we see in Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God because Jesus offered himself for us. Friends, have you been enlightened by grace so that you take hold of that gift that God has given us? Because God enlightened Jacob's mind and secondly, he humbled his heart. Uh, Come with me now to verse 24 where Jacob wrestles with God. Uh, Now can I say that this is certainly one of the more peculiar parts of scripture. Uh, this week in staff meeting, as we were chatting about it, a lot of the staff team were thinking to themselves and going, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on this part of God's Word. And as I was reflecting on this uh, that this week, I realized I don't think I have either. And yet all Scripture is God-breathed, even the harder parts, and so we need to let God's Word speak to our hearts. And this part of God's Word is no different. But I'm sure that you're wondering, like me, Well, why is it that God seems to pick a fight with Jacob in the middle of the night? That's a bit weird, right? Or maybe you're wondering even more so, why is it that God seems to lose that fight? That's weird, right? I mean, Jacob was a strong guy. Uh, You might remember a couple of weeks ago when he came to the well and Rebecca was there. There was a great big stone over the top of the well and Jacob just lifted the stone off the well as Rebecca was watching. Uh, If he was packing up chairs at the back of church tonight, all us guys would be standing by and feeling embarrassed. He was a strong guy. And yet, that was many years ago. Uh, Since then, he has got married had 12 kids, Uh, he's also um, aged a fair bit. We estimate that he was somewhere between 60 and 90 years old when this event happened here. And so it's pretty confusing that Jacob could wrestle with God and still win. See, what it is is, well, it's not a matter of Jacob's physical strength. It can't be that, can it? In fact, you even see there that in Genesis 32, God simply touches his hip and it's wrenched from its socket. Jacob is no match for God physically. But here's what's going on. Uh, J.I. Packer in his book Knowing God explains it beautifully. He says, The nature of Jacob's prevailing with God was simply that he held on to God while God weakened him and he wrought in him a spirit of submission and self-distrust that he desired God's blessing so much that he clung to God through all his painful humbling till he came low enough for God to raise him up by speaking peace to him and assuring him that he need not fear Esau any more friends i wonder if you have been humbled by grace I can't help but think of that time when I was studying at Moore College and God humbled me Uh, I was a self-confident cocky arrogant young man I thought I could do it all and God humbled me and he made me weak he reminded me that his grace is sufficient in my weakness and that if I will boast I will boast in the cross of Christ I know that for some of you right now, God is wrestling with you. He's casting off your self-sufficiency and your pride so that you might be humbled by grace. John Calvin speaks of wrestling with God like this. He says, he both fights against us and for us. While he assails us on one hand, he defends us with the other. He fights against us with his left hand and for us with his right hand. For while he lightly opposes us, he supplies invincible strength whereby we overcome. Friends, God humbles us so that by his grace, we might overcome. God enlightened Jacob's mind, humbled his heart, and now finally, transformed his life. Uh, Jacob has just been assured that God's blessing will continue. And so as the sun rises on a brand new day, Jacob approaches his brother Esau. That's a really incredible thing. Remember Jacob, the survivalist, the one who would do whatever it takes to get the upper hand? Well, have a look at verse 3 of chapter 33. As Esau comes to him with 400 men marching behind him, Jacob steps out in front of his family, and he walks towards his brother. He courageously puts himself between the approaching army and his wife and children. And then Jacob bows to the ground seven times. Not only has he treated Esau like a king with those gifts, now he approaches him like a king. And Esau runs towards him throws his arms around him and embraces him and kisses him. Can you imagine what it would have felt like for Jacob to be embraced by his brother Esau, the brother who he thought wanted to kill him? I have no doubt that Jacob would have felt like the prodigal son in Luke 15. Do you remember the prodigal son? On his way towards the father, he was rehearsing this speech in his head. He was ready to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And yet while he was still a long way off, his father was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Oh, the relief that Jacob would have felt that before he even got a word out to Esau, he was wrapped up in his warm embrace. And then we see the transformation. Esau asks him, who are these that are with you? And Jacob answers in verse five, these are the children that God has graciously given your servant. Just like Jacob prayed in the last chapter, he acknowledges that all that he has does not come from his own strength but from God who has graciously blessed him. Jacob is truly a transformed man. We see that his cowardice is turned to courage, his pride to humility. And Jacob, the deceiver, becomes a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. What he has taken, he returns. What he has cheated, He willingly pays back because Jacob is transformed by God's grace. That's Jacob's story. But what about your story? Have you been transformed by God's grace? Has God enlightened your mind? Do you see who God is and who you are in light of that? Have you cast off your self-sufficiency and entrusted your soul to the God of sovereign grace? Has God humbled your heart, shown you that it's not your own strength and wit by which you succeed? It is His gracious blessing. Has He weakened you so that you might know that He is strong? Has He transformed your life? See, it would be a disaster if we left church tonight and went on our merry way as if nothing has happened, as if we hadn't just heard God speak to us by his word. Because we've seen tonight in God's word that he transforms people by his grace. And so what impact will God's word have in your life tonight? What impact will it have in your life this week or this month? or for the rest of this year. Friends, make no mistake, if you have been transformed by God, you will still struggle with sin. Uh, We know that Jacob is a changed man, but even in the way that he arranges his family, he still shows favoritism, putting his favorite son and wife at the back. In fact, next week, we're going to meet Joseph and see Jacob's favoritism continue. This side of heaven, you will not be perfect. You will need to continue to wage war with sin. And yet God saves us by His grace. He takes us as we are, messy, just like Jacob. But He does not leave us as we are. He transforms us by His grace. So let's pray. Let's pray that God would continue that work that He's begun that he would continue to transform us by his grace. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for your grace and your mercy and your kindness to Jacob, that whilst he was still a sinner, you entered his life, that you saved him and you blessed him. And we thank you, Father, for the way that you transformed him by your spirit. We pray, Father, that you would shape and transform us that as we continue to hear your word and as your spirit works in our hearts, that you would enlighten our minds, that you would reshape our hearts so that we would be transformed by you and that we would give you glory in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.